I'm Mark. I'm Richard. And welcome to 42 to Doomsday. And tonight, we're going all retro. Richard and I are going back to the 80s. This is the first episode in a 27-part series. Is that right, Richard? I'm not sure we can make it longer. (laughs) Uh, Looking at uh, Doctor Who computer games. I'm just going to say, folks, we've been here over an hour and a half. We're only just pressing the record button now. We got distracted, didn't we? Playing a few emulated games tonight. And then that went into a conversation about music, and then I started pulling out more of my old vinyl. So we've been listening to Billy Squire's A Stroke. Get a cinnamon girl by Neil Young. Yeah, and uh, PhDs, I won't let you down again. But we're back on target, as they say. So Richard, how are you? I'm very good. Thanks for having me over. It's a pleasure, mate. Hopefully we'll get this done by midnight, so we'll see how we go, eh? Doctor Who computer games. There have been some. There have been some, and I think the general consensus is uh, not very good. There's probably a difference when not very good and maybe don't quite capture the spirit of the show maybe having said that there have been some absolute turkeys as well (laughs) and most of them have been from the early 80s really where during that time everything was either ripoff of donkey kong space invader or pitfall in some cases Uh, cuthbert in the jungle i remember was one remember that one hungry horace hungry horace and those things the first doctor who computer game was actually in 1983 uh, released by the bbc and of course for their uh, bbc micro the bbc did a steve jobs in it and refused to release it on any of the formats that's right so doctor who the first adventure which had uh, peter davison on the cover and about two days later he quit is that true yeah a couple days later he actually quit so the, the box came out with peter davison on the front next thing you know he's brexiting out of there have you actually played doctor who the first adventure richard i have my, my introduction to it was there was when the Radio Times put out their 20th anniversary special. Oh, yes. There was a couple of page article devoted yep. to it, which made it look like you know quite an interesting sort of game. For, so I was about probably 12, and I thought that would look vaguely interesting. I actually knew someone with a BBC Micro. They did sell them here in Australia, and I think they were quite popular with schools for a, t- for a short time there. Because I thought they were never sold over here. No, you could get them. They were mainly special. I mean, it wasn't like, say, walking into Target or Kmart, which was just wall-to-wall Commodore 64. Ah, the good old days, yes. But uh, no, they did sell them. It was mainly special. And as I said, I think they were fairly popular with schools. But I did know someone who had one, mm. and he did get it. It was entertaining for maybe the first little bit, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't think it had very high replay value. So basically, there was four mini games. Four mini games. Four mini games, and all based on the original themes of Pac-Man, Frogger, Space Invaders. And apparently Battleship. Yes, that's right. And and really the only probably thing that was even vaguely Doctor Who is most of the screens have a small TARDIS at one point in them. That's right. Although I think the first screen, there's a TARDIS in there and the Doctor's driving some sort of... And he's supposed to be driving a mind buggy, I think. Yeah, so they obviously watched Colony in Space maybe as a, <laughs> uh, as a bit of inspiration. Evading, evading the space worms. Yes. Yeah. Now, I haven't got uh, any emulation for the BBC Micro, so I watched a clip on YouTube. It's very basic. Yeah. Uh, it, it was interesting reading the DWM article where they said it was actually programmed by a 15 year old kid so I didn't know until that point because home computing I guess is really the era where you start having the kids in the bedroom correct you know entering the industry simply by, by programming something that one of the software houses would buy that's right and that was your into the industry no that's right. no uh, no formal training no nothing no and there's actually a great documentary called uh, from bedrooms to billions if you haven't seen it which looks at the 8-bit era of the good old days where you could do yeah. That. What was the one we watched the other night? The, the one about Imagine Software. What oh, was it was called one? Commercial Breaks. And it was filmed right. in 1984 by BBC Two, looking at the software industry back then. 
and it focused on the uh, the software house Imagine, which was basically flush with cash. The 24, 25-year-old uh, managers were you know, buying Ferraris and Porsches. Oh, uh, sponsoring motorbike racing teams. <laughs> yes, that's right. And needless to say, while the BBC were uh, filming this documentary, the receivers came in. Imagine winning the receivership. <laughs> very quickly, and the room was locked along with the BBC. They came equipment. back from lunch, and yeah. they they'd been locked. The bailiffs had been called in. But that showed... Uh, there's a scene there where this young kid basically has written a game and he's coming to one of the software houses to try and flog it. Yeah. The, the buying manager sort of watches the thing. Yeah, this this has the smell of a hit about it and offers him £500 and he gets a job there. Yeah. It's, mate, if we couldn't do that now, there's no, no way. No, 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 no. Games take years to develop and really simpler days, Richard. This game, actually, you didn't have 12 lives, you had 15 regenerations. Is that right? I played it, I think, once or twice and I think then, I don't know whether it just got chucked in the bottom drawer, maybe <laughs> the guy who owned it, or whether he, he flogged it off or did something with it, but I, I don't recall ever seeing it again. So... <laughs> At least to bundle it with the BBC Micro in the UK because it had quite a lot of unsold copies. So, uh, God, not exactly like one of those must-have games that entice you to buy the system. I wouldn't have thought. No, it's not like the bouncing ball in his CD Mega. I love that. Yeah, or like Space Invaders with the Atari because that that was supposed to be the big draw. That was, yes, it was actually. Yeah, I got got that as well. So that was the the first adventure, the first foray into. The yes. computer game world. And then followed by, now this is, I suppose, this is a bit of a non-canon entry. This is actually from computer and video games. Oh, the old CNVG, yeah. I remember yes, that. March 1983 issue had Tom Baker, uh, circa season 18, on the cover with the TARDIS and a mummy. And it says, Doctor Who Adventure. It was basically a type-in program oh. for the Atari 400 and uh, 800. Were you heavily into those? I'm- yeah, I was for a while. Except there was a dawning realisation that every time I'd uh, program one of these things, it would never work. Because my mother was a librarian, and I, I remember going to the library and, and finding, because there were a number of, uh, some of the electronics mags had them as well. Yeah. Um, and you'd sit there, and you'd take them home for the weekend, and you'd sort of sit there and laboriously key these things in, and then you'd spend the next the next day basically trying to work out where you'd keyed them in wrong. And then invariably, yeah, they'd, they'd work, well, they were really crap or they just didn't work they didn't work and it's all machine code yeah. it's like oh you're, like, oh, you're going all cross over all the machine code <laughs> instead of being outside in a 35 degree day you're inside beavering away on your on, on a Commodore 64, on a Commodore 64 and cassette deck and hoping the power wouldn't uh, short out <laughs> Just looking at the magazine now, so I said to Richard when he got here, would you like to actually start typing this in? And he, he, uh, he sadly declined. There's some bizarre illustration to Tom Baker. He actually looks like he looks like a one. vampire. I'll, I'll put some of these up on our uh, blog or, or, or Facebook page. Basically, somebody did program this online and posted it on YouTube. And it's very reminiscent of... Remember the Atari 2600 game Adventure? Yes, that's right. It's very similar to that, but uh, even it, worse. I was going to say, except the Adventure actually works. Yeah, I know I've, yeah. I've seen the same clip, and the bike said that's bordering on unplayable. Yeah, and looking at the screen, it is pretty unplayable. It's a, it's a mismatch of... Mm colours and oh, it's all over the shop the background the background's really yeah it's absolutely shocking so look if you've got a spare couple of days and an Atari 400 we can uh, put the listing up if you'd like to have a go and maybe if you do complete it send it into us <laughs> we can't play it but at least we'll, we'll believe you that you've actually completed it <laughs> now the next one in 1984 it's actually called the key to time. Now, did you ever hear about this game? I don't know this one at all until uh, until you sent me the link. No, yeah. I, I, I don't remember this one at all. Now, I do remember this one because I had a Commodore 64 back in the day. Let's be honest, we hardly bought any games. They were all pirated through <laughs> the, the schoolyard. 
Which is very similar, I think, to what was happening in, in the UK and probably just yeah. just as bad. Got on a, a disc and it just had the words key to time. I thought, this right. can't be about Doctor Who, surely. And it was. The software company that published this was called Lumpsoft. It's a text-only adventure. Remember them? I actually found a copy and uh, I was showing on the, em- on the emulator yeah, tonight. Interesting, because I, I don't remember the game, but it was written using a program called The Quill. Yes. Uh, which was produced by a company called Guildsoft, yes. which, which was basically an adventure game maker. And there was apparently an add-on pack you could buy for, I think it was called the Illustrator or something, that would actually allow you to add pictures to your text game. Oh. So you could make something like... Because text adventures have been obviously around for a while. And then the big one that, that pushed them forward a bit was Melbourne House released a game called The Hobbit. Yes. Which, which had a lot of high-res graphics and that in the background. And it actually was... The text parser was quite detailed for that type of game. I know it's regarded as a landmark game because a lot of the NPCs actually did random stuff in the background mm. and they weren't always where you'd expect to find them. So you'd mm. actually have to go, sometimes you'd have to go and hunt for, for Gandalf or whatever. I remember the music in that. <laughs> yeah, oh, just repeating all the time. And of course, Melbourne House were from Melbourne. They were. They weren't called Sydney House, they were called Melbourne well, no, House. Melbourne House, that's right. Yes. They're probably their big title, other than The Hobbit, they had a, a game, Way of the Exploding Fist. Yes, that's right. That? Yes, and the loading screens go hey! like that. Yeah, that's right. A big, uh, big karate screen, that's yeah. right. Not as effective as John Hi-ya! doing it. But so, yeah, it was, yeah, that was fantastic. This uh, Key to Time game was actually on the 48K Spectrum first right and then was ported over to the commodore so it's a port yep. so it's a port so basically there was no other formats i remember playing this back in the day and you could actually when you die you yeah. could actually type in regenerate and it would say describe well you're now you know you're now wearing a short black frock coat oh really and yet you looked like uh, the doctors that you were playing only went to number six i think at the time he hadn't got the sack then so <laughs> So I showed Richard on the emulator tonight and his eyes did glaze over a bit, but we dragged that from the archives, didn't we? Yeah, that is that is a real drag from the archives. That I must admit, I don't remember that one at all. Yeah, when we were going through that game before, I was actually showing Richard uh, some of the text. This is the introduction to the game. This is the introduction to the game. So it says, Lumpsoft Adventure Number 1, the key to time, respectively dedicated to the memory... So it's spelt M-E-M-E-O-R-Y of William Hartnell. Probably a bit nicer than what they've done with Bill and Heather <laughs> in the new series oh, of the moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah, remember the embargo still on. Yeah. yeah, we can't. No, the embargo still on. Anyway, the time stores have affected the ability of the Doctor's current persona to operate properly because of the nature of the emergency. The High Council of the Time Lords have authorized that controllers pass to you. This is contrary to the first law of time, but as desperate situations require desperate remedies, good luck, Doctor. And it says in brackets, you're going to need it. In this adventure, you must guide your earlier persona by sending him messages through this Time Lord telepathic controller cunningly disguised as a Commodore 64. (laughs) Press any key to continue. So Richard and I did, and he was a bit bored. Remember text adventures used to take ages to, you know, you had to type north, west, go, look, get... Very, very basic. That's parser, right. And yeah. quite often, they, I remember a lot of them used to come with a little book of the, the commands, that the, the verbs that they'd understand. But, yes. Uh, remember yeah. The Secret of Bastow Manor? Remember that game? Oh, yes. I do yeah. remember that. Uh, yes. I remember that game because that was any game you could really read off a disk drive and you could actually type list, actually list the whole program and you could be able to save it onto tape. I remember there was one in one of the, just going off on a tangent, I remember because I, I used to, talking about keying in the games, I remember there used to be a lot of those books that used to be published, like uh, Osborne and some of them used to publish them, that would have these little games that ah, you yeah. just key and they're like one page. Yeah. I remember there was one and it had this massive adventure 
thing and it was like 50 pages this thing and it was just code after code and it had all the locations written in longhand basic oh my god and you sat there and keyed it in the problem is I think by the time you keyed it in you pretty much worked out how to finish it because it's actually gave you it's, it's no wonder people of our generation are wearing glasses have bad posture yep. or early onset of RSI at the time of 25 because our hands were like this over, yeah, those, right over those bloody Commodore keyboards, yes. The last word on the key to time was a, a review in the Sinclair User Magazine saying, good-humoured, well-written and a joy to play. Would you agree with that, Richard? If I'd have known about that in 1983 or 84, I'd have probably given it a yeah, run. It's actually not bad. I, 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 I don't know that it would hold the attention now and I certainly couldn't give it to my kids. <laughs> No. So in 1985, Richard, Doctor Who and the Warlord was the BBC's second attempt right. at a Doctor Who video I, game. I know of the Doctor Who the Warlord. I've never, I've never seen it. But. No. But the interesting fact yeah. about this was the designer was actually former producer Graham Williams. Because this must have been around the same time he was also writing a potentially Nightmare Fair as well. Yeah, probably. Would be. Just like Graham Williams' uh, era on television, there was no pictures because basically there was no money. <laughs> no money. <laughs> But this is a text, a text, yeah, and a text this, adventure. This was text as well, wasn't it? It loaded in two parts. When you completed one part, it gave you a password, which then you had to load up the second part and you had to use a password. Oh, so imagine like when the old tape loaders yes. just sitting there with the entire first side of the tape load. Yeah, so apparently there's 250 locations in this game, so I don't know if anybody's actually completed it. It was only on the BBC Micro. Apparently a Spectrum version was supposed to be planned, but uh, never eventuated. If you have finished it, how about uh, writing in and let us know? Let us know. Very low-key in terms of when they do talk about Doctor Who computer games, this is hardly ever mentioned. Well, I suppose being on the BBC Micro, I mean... Niche. Yeah, would be would have been by then. There's a magazine I have at home called the from about eighty three or eighty four called the Home Computer Course, mm. which accompanied a BBC series of the same name. And on the in the first issue, there's a middle section there that's got about twenty or twenty five PCs like home computers that you could buy at the time. And there's stuff in there like the Dragon, and the Acorn, and the Oric. Sword, and the Oric, yeah. and the Jupiter Ace. Yeah. And if you look at a lot of those companies, within probably 12 to 24 months... They're all gone. There, they're all gone. They're all gone, Because yeah. the market, had, by that point, had really established itself. These were going to be the leaders. Mm. And then the Commodore 64, obviously, was, was the system. Um, I guess if you were in England, you probably had a fair bit of competition from the Spectrum. The Spectrum, I think, was the one over there, But yeah. uh, certainly, I mean, here in Australia, as we said earlier, I mean, you walked into Target or Kmart, Mm. And, and it was just the Commodore 64 shrine. Yeah. You used to walk up to the computers and you used to type 10, print hello, 20, go to 10 with a semicolon <laughs> so and press run. And you fill the screen and then the assistants who had no idea behind the counter would start freaking out. Marvel at your leap programming skills. Exactly. And they go, you're doing a job. And they put you in the garden centre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bitter about it at all. No, no, not at all. The Spectrum, I can't remember seeing any over here, but you, you actually said that uh, somebody you knew had one? I, I do know someone who had one. Yeah. I have seen one. Again, I think they were very much better than shops. Mm. Uh, I think they did release out here. I, I suspect it probably would have been short sale time, I would think, and then obviously they didn't take off, so they were just quietly... Uh, Taken at the back and shot. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had... Uh, the BBC Micro... Like I said earlier, was was popular with schools. I mean, we had. Um, do you remember micro bees? Uh, vaguely. The the Aussie computer. The Aussie computer. Yeah, it was built uh, somewhere out in New South Wales. Well, I had because we had those at school, and I, I think it must have been because it was Australian made. I, I'd say they obviously probably got a tax break for uh, <laughs> filling the computer lab with Australian. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would think because the the first I, I remember 
being being old enough to remember when PCs first started appearing in schools, that the school I went to, they had the very early eighties. They had like three Apple. They would have been Apple two or two E's. Yeah. And every student had they, they gave you an afternoon where you just went and sat in front of the, the computer for about two hours yeah. and went through this little program about how to put the disc in and how to type keys. And now you're learning on the computer. And then they, they had no, they didn't have a lab or anything. Though. And then a couple of years later, they built a proper computer lab. Mm. And yeah, it was full of micro bees. Really? Yeah. Because we had Apple IIs and Apple IIs in our, in our lab. Yeah, we had like a network, some sort of network slave. looked like ORAC. You know, these yeah, well, I had a, I had a, had a, there was this big old like Wang. Uh, oh, yes. There, big old Wang mini computer sitting there yeah. running, running the network. Yeah. Uh, the bloke who was the, the one solitary <laughs> computer science teacher, he actually worked for Wang. Back in the old days, when he used to, and he used to go around, he was one of the regional guys who used to go out and help businesses set them up. Was his name Wang Chung? <laughs> that was that. And then, you know, and he was fairly, well, we're going on a real tangent here, but I, mean, I remember he was really fairly anti-game. So, of course, we'd sit there and we'd find all his mag, we'd key him in and he'd play that, and then he'd come back later and he'd find he deleted it. <laughs> we had uh, Choplifter at school. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, I remember Choplifter. Yes, I remember that. I actually had that on a cartridge on the... Commodore? It was on the VIC-20, Oh, really? And as I said, we're going to have a real tangent here, but the first computer I had was uh, was a VIC-20, and I think the only reason I got that is because when the old man went into... It came from, like, the toy shop, Toy World. They had the a computer, Toy World, yes. Yeah, they had a computer yes. section at the back yeah. down the local Toy World, mm. and I think the only reason the old man bought it is because they were getting out of them at the time, and they probably saw him coming, but they said, oh, look, we can sell you this Commodore 64, which is... Very expensive, or we could sell you this big twenty, which is cheaper, and we'll throw in just an absolute just heap of games and cartridges and stuff for it. Yeah. So the other one was like, "Oh, that, that's pretty good." So we'll we'll buy that, and then of course we get it home. And of course I played with it for for a while, but yeah, they basically I think just dumped every piece of software they couldn't sell in with it. But I did get some good stuff. I got, did a lot of the Atari games, like Centipede and Defender and Donkey Kong, and, and a lot of them got converted on the cartridges for the home computer systems. Yes, that's right. Um, in the 80s. So I got quite a few of those. I remember actually spending a lot of time playing VIC-20 Defender, which was, yeah, probably within the machine's capabilities. Did you have the expansion pack on that? No, 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 it was a straight cartridge. Okay, right. Um, and, but yeah, one of the cartridges I had was uh, was Choplifter, and I think uh, you broke into three, one, by the time you cleared the third house, that was it. The game just that was it. The game ended. It, it, it went. We had to go back. You had to start again. Oh, because it's only got like three levels. Yeah, that's it. Because they both five like three. There was a three K of memory. Yeah, I can't remember. It was so uh, small. Five K uh, of internal memory. It could be expanded up to thirty two K. That's right. If you yeah. had the expansion board and you put all the different ROM cartridges yeah. in there. I did work experience at Tandy Electronics, oh, and wow. I feel I feel guilty now because. At the time, these people were make, trying to make a choice between the Tandy TRS-80 oh, TRS yes, and them. the Commodore 64. And I said to them, get the TRS-80, it's a fantastic machine. You bastard. I know, I was trying to get a job there. And I said, look, I can sell anything. I didn't get a job there, but that memory has haunted me forever, really. No, that was, I don't remember the TRS-80. I mean, there were a lot of players in the, the home computer industry. I mean, even Mattel was yes. the computer, the Aquarius. Oh, really? Yes, they, they even had a computer. Was that the step up from the Intellivision? Yeah, that's right. Okay. It was a little computer and it had a little thermal printer attached to it. Remember, wow. the, remember yes, the thermal yes, printers? Yes, And a printer plotter wow. as well. Oh, okay. Ones with little pens and you could, yeah. Anyway, we've gone well, way off tangent. It wouldn't be 42 to Doomsday if it wasn't going <laughs> off tangent. Richard Mark tangent. <laughs> exactly right. So, uh, now, I was talking to Richard uh, when we were prepping for this podcast and I mentioned a, a game called Daleks and he said, what are you on about? And I remember playing this on the uh, Mac 
when it came out in about 84, 85. I only found a very small reference to it on a website. So basically, I remember it was like a little stick man. The Daleks would, would come towards you very slowly, but you have to teleport to get out of the way or use your sonic uh, screwdriver to blow them up. So the only, oh. only reference I can find was actually on the DOS version, but I remember I did play it on the Mac. Remember no, that one? I don't remember that no. one. No, so maybe it's in the, uh, well, they call it Abandonware, maybe uh, uh, Hall of Fame. because I was going to say I wouldn't have had a PC at that point in the school. Mm. <laughs> I said, we had microvs at school, not Macs. So. Yeah, I think we were slightly higher in our poverty level at my school, so we had Apple IIs and Apple IIes. <laughs> <laughs> and we had the Mac sitting in the corner. I've had a computer oh. science teacher who I call Davros. <laughs> if you're listening, hello. was the... Uh, this is the big one. This is where we're going to spend probably most of our time talking about the Minds of Terror, Richard. Yes. Now, now, this is a Colin Baker game. It is. He's actually got the coat. Yes. And he's got the TARDIS. And, and the hair. And the hair. And he's got a cat. Splink! So this is released by Micropower, I think. Yes, that's right. This is probably the first one, the first Doctor Who one I owned myself. And where did you buy it from? Uh, would have come... Probably either would have been Kmart or from Meyer. Mm. Would have been one or the other. How much did it cost, remember? Oh, God. I would 30 bucks? Yeah, probably 25 or 30 bucks, which, mm. which let's face it, in 1996 money, uh, would have been would have been quite a bit. I don't remember this getting fantastic reviews, but I bought it because it was a Doctor Who game. This is originally started off as a sequel to a game called Castle Quest, and then they got the license to uh, Doctor Who in, while this was, was in, uh, production. in production, That's so right. they switched it quickly to a, a Doctor Who game. It was released... On the obviously Commodore 64, the Amstrad, the BBC Micro, okay. uh, but you had to get a, a ROM chip to be installed to run it because it was oh, so bloody dreaded, big. The dreaded Mega Game. Yeah, Mega Game. It's, there was a Spectrum version was going to be developed. What well, was the BBC Micro version that set them broke? I think wasn't it? I think the whole game set them broke. I know. I, oh, no, I think you're right. That's right. The production on the ROM on the chip. ROM chip you're exactly right. Yes. So the ROM chip yeah. broke that company completely. So yes, they couldn't get the rights to the Daleks. They got these things called controllers, which looked like a cross between a war machine and a Dalek. That's right. They're on, on a caterpillar tracks. A caterpillar tracks. So in terms of the reviews at the time, Commodore User in February 1986 they gave it a total of three stars in terms of overall rating of the game it says Doctor Who was obviously intended to be more than a brain straining challenge than an arcade action game it was I, I, I do remember I put a bit I never finished it I did put a bit of time into it it was basically a, I mean it was a sort of a scrolling platform yes. game but there was a bit of obviously there were, there were puzzles and there was a bit of inventory management involved as well because you had to go around and pick up various things that you needed in different parts of the mine. And one of the mags, I remember they published the map, and the map for this thing is huge. Mm. It's, it's massive. It's got like five or six areas, and you, you pretty much have to wind your way up and then back down the side. And it, it's got a... I've never actually seen a full walkthrough for it. There's probably one on YouTube, uh, if you want to sit there for like an hour and a half and watch someone play it. Apparently, if you get... You basically have to get right up to the very top of the mine, and, and the master is in it, 
in, in the last, very last scene right at the end. Really? Um, yeah. If you, if you get all the way to the top of the mine, the master's there waiting for you. Okay. Back in the day, the, the average price for a game was like £9.99 and, yeah. and 15 quid for a disc. Or oh, actually 12 quid for the tape and yeah, uh, an extra £2 for the disc. Zap64, that's a great magazine, their publication, uh, gave it overall uh, 86%. A very good arcade adventure, timeless perhaps. I think some of the criticism about the game was actually, it's bloody hard. It is, and, yeah. and you need a lot of dedication to, to work your way through it, because it is, it is such a big game. Yeah, I remember when I got it, the came with it, because I had it on tape, I upgraded to a disk drive at that point, but it came with a little packet that had the solution for the first puzzle, because the first object you need know, to finish the game is not all that far below your starting point, and it's guarded by a thing called a madrag, I think it is. Uh, which is like this dragon sort of, and, and it actually tells you how to how to distract the mad drag so you can get the first couple of items that you need. Right. And it, it's quite involved because the cat, uh, Splinks the cat, he actually, you can sit there and program, program what you it. want yes, him to do. That's right, he yeah. can go to four different waypoints mm. and they can be in quite disparate areas. I think there can be quite a distance between them. And then you can tell him what you want him to do uh, at each waypoint. Um, so you can send him down, pick up, go to waypoint two, drop, come back to waypoint three, pick something else up, go back to wait, and program him with quite a complicated sequence of commands. I looked at the um, the, the programming. Please look little markers down for him to move around. Yes. Yeah. See- so you basically spend five minutes wandering around the minus the doctor. Yes. To, to put all the way markers down, and then you would stand there and you could go into the program screen, and then you program the cat to go between the way markers, and then you tell him what you what he what he had to do at each point. It, it sounds like Trial of the Time Lord, doesn't it? Really? <laughs> Convoluted and sort of falls apart at the end. Some of the contemporary reviews at the time in your Commodore in 1986, they gave it a total of 8, 8 out of 10. 10. Graphically, the game is quite pleasant. The casual lope of the Doctor is particularly impressive. I think he's just talking about his, uh, his walking <laughs> style. The challenges are difficult but logical, and apart from the nagging music, I wholeheartedly I recommend... recommend this game. Interesting. It was very heavily advertised at the time, though. I'm mean, just bringing up another ad. Are you ready for brain-to-brain combat? That's right. I yes, know. that's right. That, ad. that was in some of the computer mags. I yeah. remember that. They, they spent about a lot of money on that advertising campaign. It's like £25,000, something mm. ridiculous like that, and obviously did not make the return. No, I mean, it wasn't a great time either because the show's been cancelled. It certainly in terms of picking your moments. <laughs> it's, so. it's sort of like Doctor Who, the first adventure, really. Here's Peter on the box, oh, I'm going next day. So <laughs> the timing has never been right for this the, these type of games when they're released. I was showing Richard the Commodore 64, the 64 version on an emulator when he got here, and it sort of brought back the, the haunting memories but I, I actually watched the Amstrad version on, on YouTube yeah. and the rendering of the Doctor is actually a lot better well it would be because yeah. that was a yeah, slightly more powerful machine yeah so. it actually looked quite good it's um, a bit like you remember when you'd buy the because later on when, when machines like the Amiga and the Atari ST came out and you go and buy the Commodore 64 version you look at the screenshots on the back of the box you're like wow that looks really good Oh, Atari ST version show. Yeah, <laughs> they never show you the C64 no, screenshots. Right. I'm still, you know, 30, uh, 31 years later, I'm still trying to get over the disappointment of the outrun on the Commodore 64. <laughs> I've never been more upset in my life. It was actually a double whammy because uh, I got back from a school camp and I had a tape there, had season 24 arrive. And I watched Time on the Rani, and then I was given a copy of Outrun. So really, it wasn't a good day. <laughs> it wasn't a good day. Home listening to the Smiths and the Cure after oh. to try and get over it. <laughs> anyway. 
Happy times and places. That's right. My pirating network at my school obviously was a lot better than yours because it sounded like you bought a lot more original software than what I did. Probably. I mean, look, I, I had a fair bit of pirate stuff too. I mean, I remember you used to you'd go around at your mate's place and they, yeah. they got a tape and you'd sit there and you'd go through the tape and weed out all the titles you wanted and then yeah. you'd sit there and assiduously copy them onto a tape you'd brought. That's right. And you, you, know, you knew you had to find the stereo that had actually copied them because I remember the couple of kids at the tape decks, they had wooden copy games probably. That's right. We're going on a bit of a tangent again, Richard. Yeah, yeah uh, another tangent. Exactly. So in 1986 also there was a game, and I know the Diddley Dumboys covered this in a few podcasts ago, where the great man John Pertwee's voice yes, was used. Yes, provided some of the voice work. Yes. And, uh, what was that game called? Juice S. Mackinac, I think yeah. was the full title. Yeah. And that was that was a very strange game. That was actually where, where I was introduced to the Spectrum, because the, the guy I knew had the Spectrum, he actually had that. Right. It was... Basically, it was a form, it was an artificial life form, I think, was created within the computer and you had to control it and, and basically set it free, I think. I do remember playing it because I, I, the bit I remember, it's created by, it's set a little bit in the future and that they obviously there's been nerve gas or something released to exterminate all the mice because the, the opening little thing from Pertwee is... Tuesday evening, after tea and compulsory prayers. The last mouse on earth tried to hide from mankind inside the machine. Just before it died, as the nerve gas eased its sphincter, the last ever mouse dropping caused a slight accident. So, mouse poo yep. created this artificial... It's not really Max Headroom, is it? <laughs> it's Max Head case, isn't it, really? The only thing I remember about that game was there's two things. The case it came in was like a sort of, almost like a like a clamshell. That's right. Because uh, yeah. a friend of mine had it on the Commodore 64 because basically he shoplifted it from a shop in Melbourne and he walks out of the shop and I said, what do you got there? And he goes, I got this game and it's, of course it was DXC. Yeah. And I just looked at the back so it's got John Pertwee and obviously had this audio tape with uh, the great man, it was John Coleshaw, but I mean, it was John Pertwee. <laughs> so uh, I, I can't remember playing the game perfectly honest. I just remember those two, those two happy memories about it. So involving petty crime and John Pertwee, really. There you go. There you no, go. I, I do remember it. I have seen it played, I think, once or twice. No, don't remember. <laughs> When the show's off the air. Yeah, and, and we get probably one of the best known, I think, Doctor Who games. Correct. Which is Dalek Attack. Actually, I bought this game. In 1992, <laughs> this game was released. But I actually bought this game in 94 when I went back to the UK for the first time. I actually popped into the Longleat Doctor Who exhibition there. And in their little shop there, they had Dalek Attack on the right. Commodore 64 on tape, not disc. And I think it was like £8. It was Heavily discounted, <laughs> and uh, I bought it, and I took it home and loaded it up. It's underwhelmed. The Commodore sixty four by that stage was well oh, on its way out and showing its age. Right, that would have been yeah, yeah. Right, right it was showing end. its age by the early nineties. The whole software industry was starting to wind down for all the eight bit machines, so it was actually a miracle they got something out anyway. But I remember playing it. Oh, great! It's a Doctor Who game. 
Yeah. But on the eight bits, you only could choose one doctor, which was McCoy. That's right. Where on the Amiga, yeah. I think on the PC, you could choose other doctors. You, you could be. Did Did you have any of the other ones, or just just the sixty four? No, I just had the sixty four. Because I, I, because I must admit, I've never played the sixty four until we were sitting here tonight. I, I had the because by ninety two, late ninety two, early ninety three, I'd, I'd moved up to the Amiga. Yeah. Um. So I had it on the Amiga, and on the Amiga, you could be. You could be Troughton, you could be Tom, or you could be McCoy. Okay. And the second player could be Ace, or what well, I thought was the Brigadier, but most of them seem to just refer to it as the Unit Soldier. So you had that, and then I got my first PC shortly afterwards. Yeah. Uh, and I had it on the PC as well. Okay. And we had it playing here this evening on DOSBox. Those versions are a lot better. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the 8-bits, is, there's no comparison, really, because, I mean, the gameplay on the 8-bit, in fact, well, I, didn't, be, I didn't know what to do. It I'm, could I'm be worse. Second it, could stage. Be, it could be the Spectrum version you showed me. Oh, yes, that was even worse. And I think that Spectrum version That's, actually came out much later. I suppose the, the gameplay well, was I had reduced. to take a lot of it out. A lot of it out. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's very limited. Because, like, at the end, of the, the end of the boss level on, on level 1, they've only got one sort of snake guy. That's right. And you're not even in a little hovercraft, you're sort running along jumping I think so yeah, yeah. now I, I think I'm right that that was the last commercial release for the Spectrum one. in terms of the gameplay it's just basically a platformer yeah, it's a, yeah it is it's a platform shooter I mean I look I had a lot of fun with it I actually thought it was a fun game to play mm. I never actually finished it although I do know I, uh, Dave actually has finished it Oh yes, he had he had it on his PC when he was a kid. That's he, right. He finished it. I don't know whether he did it with the aid of the cheat or not, because that was uh, the cheat was Roger Moore and Oliver Reed were never good singers, because you actually had to key in text from the rule book uh, to move between levels to make sure you didn't have a crack copy. Yes, I think as it came with a little rule book, and I refer you to like page six, line twenty five, word four, or whatever. And, and I do remember because I had it on the the Amiga one. I had just talked going back to a thing about piracy because I had it on the Amiga, and that was an original game. But uh, the, the PC one I had was a copy, but it had been cracked, so you didn't need the rule book. <laughs> <laughs> Did it have, like, infinite lives like my Commodore 64 version have? No, there were there were additional codes you could put in, I, I think, that gave you additional lives or could jump you between levels if you didn't really want to have to go through the sewers and, and work your way through London and then through Paris. Okay. It's very underwhelming. It's a platformer, which everything was platformers yeah. by that stage. I mean, look, it's not a, look, it's not a Doctor Who game. There's no. Really, and, and I suppose going back to the original discussion topic, it's it's not a Doctor Who game. But I, I look, I certainly had a lot of fun playing it, and I, I did put I did put a bit of time into it. Actually, I did ask Dave who uh, he the Doctor of choice he was uh, mm. when he played it, and of course it was uh, Troughton. So <laughs> they had to get approval, I think, from the BBC to actually have the Doctor armed. Well, you got power ups to turn the sonic screwdriver into a laser, which which was the only weapon other than the grenades that you had, which would take out Daleks. Everything else you could kill if you pumped enough shots into them. But and and you went around, and it was basically a platform. There were like a bit like uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. There were little coins or symbols to collect. Jelly Babies gave you power ups. And little things, and you had to work your way through each level, rescue the hostages, defeat the boss, and then you teleport to the next city. Okay. So you go through the sewers, and then you come into London, and then it was London to Paris, and then you go to New York, and then you go to Tokyo, Tokyo, and then there were two levels on Scarra. In terms of enemies, you had the Robomen, which was the Cushing movie design, not the uh, BBC right. design. There was uh, Ogrons. Ogrons in there. I actually thought Chewbacca. I thought it was Chewbacca. <laughs> But it's actually an Ogron. <laughs> Sylvester McCoy on the Commodore 64 does look like Inspector Gadget. Those cheat codes, uh, yes, you meant that James Bond and Oliver Reed were never good singers. True, I am guilty of interference, just as you are guilty of failing to use your great powers, infinite life. Day of Reckoning, 
You will skip to Paris. It doesn't work in the sewer. Yeah, you, ha- you, have to, you had to go through the sewer level regardless. Yeah. The Slither, uh, which just skips you to New York. Uh, the Tricolor Coffee Shop. And the D5 Gamma Z Alpha. Now, the people who put in this, some of these cheat codes together, obviously... Well, obviously fans. Well, obviously fans. There was a TV ad for that, I think. Or at least it was re- it was uh, heavily previewed on a computer show uh, in, the, in the early 90s. In terms of its reception, Amiga Powers gave it a very low score, much to the point where apparently the, the publisher of the game were actually going threatening to sue. <laughs> for a bad review. <laughs> I mean, for a bad review. Commodore Force gave it 80%, which is interesting because I did find the actual reviews, and yes, they reviewed it, but also on the other page is actually an interview with Sylvester McCoy and sort of asking him for his opinion on, uh, on the game. I might actually post it up on our storebook page or something like that. Your Sinclair only gave it 56%, which, given the cuts to the Spectrum game, is not particularly surprising. As I said, I, I remember it being quite a fun little game to play. I think it's certainly better on the Amiga and the PC oh, I version. Think so. I, I do remember, uh, some years later, we found... This would have been probably later 90s. We found somewhere that had a stock of them. This would have been when I was involved with the, with the club here in Victoria. And we used to bring a fair bit of merchandise in. And I did actually find somewhere that had a stock of them. I, I do remember bringing them in. We sold a few through the club. And the problem was the PC versions, the, the hardware on the machines had moved on enough that the frame rates on the loaded video cards were a lot better. So when you put them in, there was like mad flicker. Oh, um, so right. they actually they were bordering on unplayable. So unless you had a, an older machine... To play it on. Yeah, they, they actually wouldn't work. And I you know, sort of sold them. And <laughs> a few people bringing them back going, oh, this doesn't look like all sales are final. <laughs> Look out for Richard on Gumtree for <laughs> any of his ads. Also, also final. That was it for about five years until... Um, Destiny of the Doctor. It was Destiny of the Doctor. Yeah, okay, yeah. 1997, I think. Yes, I do have the misfortune of playing that. Yeah, which has uh, had input from... Uh, was Gary Russell creative consultant or, so, or designer on that? I can't uh, yes, wanna, he was. Yeah. I think he certainly had something to do with it. My, my main memory of that is we ran... The, the club here, we ran a convention here that year, which had Sophie as our guest, Sophie Alder as our guest of honour. But Village Roadshow, who were releasing the game here, actually gave us a PC for the weekend. Wow. And a preview copy. Yeah. Because it hadn't been released here. I think it was a Christmas release here. And we had it set up at the con, and like, people were wandering past and playing it. And the problem was they were pretty much universally said how boring it was. On the last day of the con, there was a guy from Roadshow came to pick up the PC. And he sat with it for about an hour or so, just asking people who came up and looked at it, oh, have you played it? What did you think? And the problem was they promised us a couple of copies we could give away to club members. And I think after hearing all the negative feedback, they never eventuated. <laughs> I didn't really venture much out of the uh, the Autons walk, run, you know, wandering around the TARDIS. I mean, look, it had new audio clips I, with I, Tom and, and Peter. So it did. I, I think the, really the draw card was probably that there was some stuff Anthony Ainley filmed Yes, um, some some short clips. And he was great in those. He was, and I, I think that was really the primary draw card for it. Mm. I, I don't really. The couple of times I looked at it, I really didn't get a lot out of it. I have to say, no. It was sort of a, I, it was intended to be like a first person shooter because it's all done in first person perspective as you wander through the, the corridors of the TARDIS and whatever. But it really wasn't very well done at all. The summary is uh, the Master holds the seven incarnations of the Doctor as prisoners in a vast combat arena. So basically, it just sounds like the five Doctors just. <laughs> amped up he must be challenged you are the challenger the as Sylvester McCoy was saying a electro-telepathic entity created by the doctor succeed and the tables are turned on the master fail and the doctors and are removed from space 
and time forever. So apparently it's a database, City of Thought, 600 entries with text, stills, That's audio right, because as you encountered each monster, you could, there was a, a section you could go into where it would bring up some really basic details mm. about each of, the, each of the things you'd encountered. But the, the problem was, of course, I, I think by this stage, of course, everybody, we'd even moved on from stuff like Doom, and people playing things like Quake and Hexen yeah. and whatever by this point. So this, this really was, was probably a good couple of years behind. Very, very low opinion of this. It was, just, as I said, boring yeah, to the antiquary. Was. You didn't really know what you were doing. Did for the first and second Doctor had some uh, some voice actors come in and do an, an interpretation. Or, or, uh, yeah, it wasn't those guys yet. Probably the same people who did the uh, head sculptures for Dimensions <laughs> at the time. Of, uh, what was it? Christopher Lloyd and Eva Paul McCartney. <laughs> Not the best, because really by that stage, you know, the whole PC game was really kicking off. But as I said, they just missed their boat. But then again, you can't really have Doctor Who... As you said, the Dalek attack, where you know the BBC were getting upset with Doctor Who carrying a gun mm. and shooting people, so you really can't go down that path. So you're very limited in options. It's either going to be a platformer, or a, puzzle a puzzle game. game. Yeah, it's not going to be like Overwatch or something like it is now. You know what I mean? So no, well, I suppose you do, and I guess we're probably getting a little ahead of ourselves. I guess if you get into the next lot of Doctor Who games, a lot of them are probably puzzle games and stealth em ups. Mm. Um, I think, just actually harking back to the thing of Quake, there was actually a Doctor Who level for Quake, which was uh, had you in an Absalom Dark, oh, yeah. and you're with your chainsaw uh, running around, and they'd, they'd replace the monsters in there with Daleks and Ogrons. Yeah. Destiny of the Doctors. Yeah, not, not, not one of the better entries, I'm sorry. No. About to say, now before we move into the 2000s, there is one we've sort of missed, which is the pinball machine. Oh, yes. Now, it's not really a video game. But I do remember this actually making a big splash at the time because it was, we're really in the, this is about 93. Mm. So of course it's around the 30th anniversary. There hasn't been any Doctor Who on TV for three or four years. Mm. And this, this was quite a big deal when it came out. And I remember, I must be honest, I remember pumping a lot of coins into the, the there's a couple in Melbourne. There was, there was one in Richmond across the road from my work. So after working on a Friday night, I used to pump a lot of money and beer into that machine and <laughs> it was a good game though like uh, it, was, that, it yeah. was a good game it was a fun game I went up I, I do actually own one of the pinballs one, it was a collectible I'd always wanted and a few yeah. years ago I did actually lash out and buy one I must admit I've had a lot of fun with it what's the condition of it at the moment it, mine needs a bit of work to the dot matrix screen at the top because for anyone who's never seen it, it it is quite an interesting machine I believe uh, pinball collectors are interested in it because yes. It's, it's one of very few machines that's got a three-level play field. Yeah. So the, for anyone who's never seen it, the machine, each doctor controls or, or appears on a different part of the play field. Mm. And the, the, the story behind it is I think the Master and the Daleks have teamed up and built something called the Time Expander. And obviously your goal is to stop them. The game has... There's a little video screen in the, in the headboard of the machine. Mm. And different doctors, as I said, control different parts of the play field. So... If you have Sylvester McCoy gets you to multi-ball faster. Yeah. William Hartnell gets you into video mode quicker. Colin Baker, and actually he's one of the most, uh, unusually he's one of the most useful doctors in the game. He gives you your score multiplier. Oh, does he? Uh, so there's a ramp shot you can make that boosts your score multiplier, and that, that's controlled by Colin if you have him lit. Yeah. So you start off with one doctor, and then obviously you have to light all seven doctors on the headboard yeah. by unlocking them all, and they do different things. And the whole idea with multi-ball is when you lock both balls, you then... The playfield pops up one level mm. and there's a series of targets you have to hit and then it pops up a second level and then there's a, a Dalek three Daleks there that you have to shoot yeah. 
to, to decide which, uh, which score jackpot you're going to go for. Playfield then drops down, it goes into multi-ball mode, mm. and then it comes back up to the third tier again, and then you have to start, you have to ping all three Daleks. Oh, all right, okay. Yeah, so oh, it, yes. is, it is quite convoluted, and as I said, that, that three-level uh, mm. three playfield is, is quite rare. The machines now, are there many left? They made, I think, about 8,000 of them. Right. So obviously, they're an American machine. They're made by um, they're made by Bally. They're probably, I think, here England probably in America would have been the three big markets for them. I can't say there's something that would have sold anywhere. Obviously, they didn't know what Doctor Who was. Mm. I wouldn't have thought there was actually a surprising number here. I mean, look, yeah. you knew one. I knew of at least two or three in town, and then you had yeah. the one over the road from where you were, which yeah. was sort of out in inner Melbourne. Yeah. So look, I, I think it was a reasonably popular machine. They still go for. Well, we're still talking in, in the some thousands of dollars, depending on condition. And, yeah. and if you want to, there, there is some aftermarket stuff for them. Mm-hmm. If you want, there's, there's a company that will replace, because it's a, a 90s machine, the uh, lights and everything in it are obviously uh, small globes. So there is an aftermarket thing you can buy, a complete new wiring harness, a lighting harness, which is all LED, so they never burn out. Mm-hmm. There's also a company that make a the little video screen, they'll replace that with a full color one, and you can get a, a software ROM. Wow. For you can upgrade the upgrade the ROM in it that, that plays everything in full color. Wow! Um, yeah, I mean we're talking. You'd have to really want to do it because we're talking some dollars. Then obviously you've got to get it fitted, so it's, mm. it's not just a drop in, drop out. The it's, wiring, yeah. the wiring loom is a pretty major uh, thing, and and replacing the UMD and replacing the, the ROM, uh, the, the machine's ROM is, is a bit expensive as well. Plus, of course, well the thing with the machines was the thing we didn't talk about was there was a, a Dalek sitting on the very top. Yes. And the original ones actually had a motor in them because the Dalek lights up when you go into multi-ball mode and it starts screaming out, exterminate, exterminate, and uh, whatever. When it goes into multi-ball mode, the Dalek lights up and the original ones had a motor in them so the Dalek head would actually spin. Yeah. But that was dropped for the production models. Okay. Um, so there was only like 50. There is, of course, there are instructions. You can find them online on how to turn your Dalek into a, into a rotating one and how to wire up the motor and everything properly. And, and how, so you, you two can have a, a moving Dalek and not just a light up one. If you, if you want to spend the time and effort on the machine, you can also buy, I believe, if you have, if your cabinet is damaged and the stickers, because it had like Doctor Who. Decals. And yeah, the, decals yeah. and everything down the side of it look really yeah. quite nice. Um, you can actually buy replacements for those too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, there's lots of uh, video game restoration hobbyists out there mm. now and they've got some really great blogs and what they do is they get tip-offs from people and basically they go into warehouses and, mm. or, or storage facilities that are basically being left or abandoned and some of the stuff they're pulling out is incredible like you know i saw one uh, blog where basically there's like three massive rooms full of video cabs yeah and one was a couple of sit-down star wars you know yeah. from the atari ones which nice. i always wanted to buy as a yeah, child, I would have liked one of them too. Yeah, again, I was dis- a lot yeah. of money into those. Yes, exactly. I was very disappointed when I played the Commodore version of it, but uh, I have it on main. But I'm not gonna <laughs> the, the cab. I don't think would be. Uh, I wouldn't get it past the life. But uh, yeah, plus the other thing, where would you put it? Because it's a monster. It's a, a monster machine. But yeah, I love that game. I mean, the thing with the pinballs is, I mean, look, they're mechanical. So look, yeah. stuff does go wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. the flippers, the solenoids burn out in the flippers, and you have to yeah. keep them maintenance. You can get obviously the ball mechanisms and that wear out over time. The, mm-hmm. the rubbers. Uh, the rubber stoppers and everything wear out, so they do require uh, they do require maintenance. And these things were you know built 27, 24 years ago, so yeah, that's right. it's quarter of a century nearly. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. But no, that that was a great machine, and actually, I, I think that puts uh, we were talking about you know why has it ever been a good Doctor Who video game? Well, mm. that that's, a, that's, that's probably a, the best. That, that is that's a great little game. And there's a, a thing now we we actually had it running here earlier tonight just for the listeners. There's it was a Kickstarter late last year 
that did a virtual Doctor Who pinball. They're by Farsight Studios, and it's called Pinball Dreams, is, is the actual program. They released a Doctor Who table for it. Now, there's the classic Doctor Who table, yep. and then there's their one of their own invention, which which has the newer... Because the thing, obviously, this is 93, the original table, so it's only Doctors 1 to 7. They also released a new virtual pinball table, which is Paul McGann through to Peter Capaldi. I haven't really put a lot of time into that one. It's it's a much sparser table, I think, than the... Yeah, <laughs> the it, had Missy, it had Missy on it, so... Uh... Yes. The, the radio turn off for you. Yes, so I think I basically said, Richard, please turn us off and I'm going to go back to the classics. Yes, that's well worth checking out. It's available through Steam. The table to buy, I think, is about 10 bucks. Sacrilege, I know, but they actually bought a proper Doctor Who pinball machine, stripped the thing right down to its component parts, and then just used that to create the virtual one. It's fantastic. Like, I was playing it tonight, and uh, I'm going to get it because it just brought back those yeah. great memories of beer-soaked nights. <laughs> and pumping uh, lots of money into it. <laughs> that's a great machine, I must admit. If you haven't ever tried that, that that's well worth checking out that machine if you ever get a chance. Uh, I will be going to Richard's uh, a couple of weeks' time and having a go as well. It's in storage, isn't it? Uh, it's actually in the garage. It's got a bit of stuff stacked on top of it at the moment. But <laughs> Keep it for another 10 years, mate. Retro's going up like mad, so you'll get more money for it then. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because gaming, really, retro gaming really is a, is a massive thing. Uh, now, there's a big thing you're saying with the old cabinets because what they do now is they actually get the original arcade cabinets because mm. a lot of the main machine you can actually buy a main arcade machine, but what they are is they're just a PC basically hidden inside That's a cabinet. Right. Yeah. What you used to do in the olden days, of course, was, and I knew a guy who had one, and I wish I'd bought it from him when he sold it, but uh, again, it'd probably just be sitting in the garage gathering dust, though, but he had an upright a proper machine and he used to go down to the place every few months and he'd buy ROM cards because yeah. when they released the Jammer architecture you just drop the ROM cards in and out and I remember you'd go around there and he'd have you know, you'd have a few beers and he'd go what do you want to play and he'd sit there and he'd like open the back of the machine burrow around in there for a few minutes and suddenly up would come Defender or up would come Tempest or whatever but uh, the new machines now because I, I did look at a main machine but the, the problem is that the controllers on them are crap very ordinary that's a shame, isn't it, really? Yeah, you need really the old heavy-duty duty steel. Um, yeah, a bit like the old Commodore 64 and the old Wyco, yeah, the, the old Wyco Commander, the steel shaft. None of those rubbish quickshot two things. Those cocktail machines, yep. the cabinets are going for vast amounts now because you just can't get the smoke glass, obviously. Mm. It's very of its time. But you just can't get them anymore. And when you do see them, they go for stacks of money. Yeah, they do. But everything, you know, like you look on Gumtree or eBay, like Commodore 64s, for example... Oh, they're going anywhere between $200 and $400, oh. you know. I think in the UK, it's probably a lot cheaper. But here, for some reason, well, it's the Australia tax. Everybody's just trying to make a buck. It's just incredible. Plus, I suppose, let's face it, I mean, we're now at the point... I mean, even Atari's go for a lot of stuff. Now, yeah. they've got an original Atari, but, I mean, yeah. they're probably stuff a lot of people would have chucked. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember I sold mine. I sold my Amiga, and I, I basically not much off gave them away, really, because mm. I'd just taken up space in the shed. But, I mean, that was... That would have been, what, 20 years ago? Yeah. Yeah, if I'd known. Yeah. I know. I took my Commodore 6400 hard drive up to the Salvos and <laughs> dropped it off. I'm just kicking myself because mm. it's like, why did I, did I do that? I think mm. it was down to storage at the time. Well, now, you obviously, have fairly okay storage. Mm. But it's just getting the time to play it. So yeah, yeah well, I was, that's true too. I was just playing, showing Richard the emulators tonight. And yeah, it, it's a lot of mucking around to get it going. Once it's going, it's okay. But some people just want the real thing. <laughs> After the pinball machine... Yes, well, uh, and then it really is Destiny of the Doctors. Destiny of the Doctors. 
What's after that? There, there's a, well, there's a gap, really. I mean, because you, you sort of get into the late 90s mm-hmm. and then into the early 2000s where the, we're, you know, we're well into the wastelands, really, of the, the year of post-telly movie. Yeah. But it, when the show comes back, it does actually take a little while, really, before you start to see any games or video-type games produced. I mean, there's a couple of little LCD handheld games I remember from probably around the early That's David right, Tennant. like a dark era. one, yeah. I had That's right. yeah. Um, there was a TARDIS one, too. But it's not really until you get into the Matt Smith era, really, that anyone makes a, a really sort of concentrated or dedicated effort to try and produce something. And one of the early ones was, was the BBC themselves. They come back into the game, BBC Multimedia, and they released the, the Matt Smith Adventure Games, mm. which, again, for the listeners, we've had... Uh, for a shame this is a really just an audio podcast because we did have running here earlier this evening. They feature a sample speech uh, from Matt Smith and, and Karen Gillan. And there, there were five in that set. There were three, uh, sorry, four short ones. There was a Dalek one, a Cyberman one, a TARDIS one, and a Vashta Narada one, uh, the shadow things from, from the library. Yeah. And then they did a, a much bigger one called the Gunpowder Plot, basically Guy Fawkes. Mm. Uh, I think it's the routines eventually that are behind it. Spoilers. And it's Patrick Trout as uh, Guy Fawkes. <laughs> <laughs> he was in that role years ago. But they, for the time, they were really, a lot of time and effort's clearly gone into them. And basically, considering they were given away free, you could just download them from the BBC's website if you lived in the UK or you had a region, or you had a region spoofer. Yeah, they, they were just given away free. Mm. And they're quite good little games. I mean, they, they don't, they're not particularly involved. I mean, they're, they're sort of stealth up games and puzzle solving. Mm. But um, no, they're, they're great little games. I hadn't seen those until tonight when you showed me. And I was oh. really impressed in terms of, A, the quality. I mean, for a freebie, yeah. you really can't. I mean, look, you look at the graphics and the oh, rendering and that now. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. time's obviously moved on in the six or seven years since they were made. But, mm. no, I, I must admit, for the time, I think they're great little games. Yeah. And also around that time, they started bringing out games for the Wii and the uh, Nintendo DS. Yes. Now, I haven't actually played these. I read the reviews and was sort of put off them, but I... Uh, I bought the Wii Remote and I bought... Oh, that's right. They did the Sonic Screwdriver Remote. Yeah, that's right. Sonic Screwdriver Remote and obviously the game. Put it this way, it was on eBay very quickly. It didn't... (laughs) It's aimed for the younger audience and my kids were too young at the time and I didn't have the time to play it. I wasn't particularly impressed. Just a run around, a puzzle, really. game. puzzle game, run around, and I, I showed you quickly the yeah. Nintendo DS yes. uh, game tonight. Because there, there was Evacuation Earth, and then yes. there was Return to Earth, yeah. wasn't there? Yeah, they were both pretty crap. To be perfectly honest, okay. yeah. I mean the the opening sequence on the on the DS, I think I showed you, but your eyes sort of glazed over, <laughs> so we didn't get much further. So look, my my recollection of those two games was look, they're aimed for the younger kids, and yeah. those consoles in particular are for the younger kids. So yeah, well, we, we I mean, always did have that, that connotation that it was a kid's system. Correct. Uh, you know, as, exactly. as opposed to the adult PS3 adult and the, the yeah. Xbox. Not really inspiring. I never had a Wii. I do actually still have a Nintendo GameCube pre-Wii system. Yes. And I mainly keep that because I play Rebel Strike. So, yeah, so basically those games came and went with a bit of a... Right. That was it. Yeah, okay. And then what happened after that? Uh, well, then there was, there was an online game called Doctor Who Worlds in Time, I think it was called, which allowed you... You couldn't actually play as a Doctor. I think you wound up playing as, playing as aliens, I think. I remember looking at it, and it was it was supposed to be a, a, like an import, so it was supposed to be an, an online role-playing game. And the whole thing was you, you were supposed to create a, a character, and obviously you move through the Doctor Who universe. I did look at it, thought, no, this is clearly aimed at kids, and then never bothered with it, and I, I don't think think it lasted that long I don't think from memory I remember they, they shut the servers down 
Yeah, it's pretty much from 2012 to 2014. Interestingly enough, the publisher was Three Rings Design, which was then bought by Sega. Oh, there you go. Basically, players were able to control the TARDIS as a completed challenge was set by the Doctors to save the universe from various enemies had to solve puzzles and complete some tasks. So again, it's for the kids. It's puzzle games. Yeah. There was a puzzle game released. Uh, it was an early smartphone game called Mazes in Time. Again, it's a Matt Smith game and you play him and Amy follows you around. And again, it was another puzzle game. The whole idea was that you're on a spaceship, I think it was from memory. Pretty much essentially solve the puzzle in each screen and then move on to the next screen. So it's a bit like sort of something like the Lost Vikings, really, where you, you, you know, find the order to where you have to step on the switches or find the thing you need to open the door or repair something in this room which opens the room door further back. I've actually got it on my phone. I completely forgot it. I had it and I played it for a bit. I got a reasonable way into it. Yeah, I think I played it very briefly and I went back to... Um, again, look, for a puzzle game, it actually... I, I, I remember it was it was quite an entertaining little game, but it was really it was entirely puzzles. It was really just yeah, just, just complete the puzzle it, it, and get on to the next screen. Yeah, the target audiences for the kids. Those are sort of the Matt Smith ones. I, I I had something to do with. Well, then of course you get around the anniversary uh, and the smartphone. I mean, there's a lot of Doctor Who smartphone stuff. There's the Sonic Screwdriver app. There's Dalek Voice Changer. Yes, there's Dalek Voice Changer. The Sonic Screwdriver app. The official one has got. I think about six or seven. You can have Pertwee's one. You can have uh, Tom's one. You then have like the the ninth Doctor, tenth Doctor, twelfth Doctor. Uh, you have the 12th Doctor Sonic sunglasses. Not not, not tempted? No. No, no not really. No, no, they all make authentic noises. The noises actually sound pretty good. Now, seeing it in action, I think definitely walk around on the train going to work with a bit of a Pertwee Sonic happening to open yeah. up the doors, maybe. So that's the thing. When you when you fire the Pertwee one up, yeah. so you can actually sit there and you can do the Sea Devil like the... And your little light comes up as well, which is great. Yeah, it works, it works a lot on the phone, so you can use it as a torch. When you get the Matt Smith one, you can actually flick your iPhone and it will actually open and close the emitter. <laughs> so you can flourish it like he used to. And he... <laughs> no, my luck, I've let go of it. It'll head towards somebody's face. Next time you're on the train and you're waiting for the doors to open, you can just whip out your phone to the... I could do that with you, but I won't. There you go. It's, uh... it's, it's on a par with the same ones that turn your phone into a lightsaber. The same company put out a virtual TARDIS app as well, which basically allows you to pick a TARDIS. So you can you can pick like the 12th Doctors or the classic TARDIS or whatever. So you pick your TARDIS and what it does is it works through your camera. So you can actually take photo like landscape photos with a TARDIS in it. Minutes of fun, I'm sure. At a wedding, you can have the TARDIS coming through. You can have a TARDIS come through like to materialise in front of the bride and groom. That's right. Yeah. The yeah. other one I do have is there's also this one here. I don't know if you've seen this. This is the Dalek iStalk app. No. This one, look, it even plays menacing Dalek music. I, I hear the heartbeat of a killer. And what you can do, it's a camera app. Yeah. When it loads, you can pick the type of Dalek that you want. As I said, it's a camera app and you can have the power view. Mm-hmm. Uh, the destiny view which is mm-hmm. the infrared thing they use the remembrance one which mm-hmm. is the green screen with the little symbols Dalek Asylum Doomsday Paradigm Dalek oh god Victory Dalek and that's it so the power one actually because you press this button here it actually shows you a live feed from Wigan warehouse <laughs> there that's the power feed isn't it so there you go so it wow. looks like that view yeah. yeah that's quite a fun little app that one speaking of apps the big app that came out and it's still actually actively being updated and still got a really active community behind it is a game called Doctor Who Legacy I've heard about it well it's interesting because it's actually a match three game so it's a bit like a Bejeweled or Candy yeah. Crush oh okay really but the whole idea with it is it's obviously got a Doctor Who thing and you can pick up different characters in that little way and they obviously have different abilities 
abilities. Yeah. So the way they interact with the gems. Yeah. So the whole idea is, is you have to basically match three in the row and that's how you attack the monsters. You can unlock different characters along the way and there's, there's all sorts of different areas you can go into. But the strategy element behind it is the monsters have abilities the way they interact with the gems. They can swap the colours around, they can stun you, they can cause damage to you, whatever. And your characters have uh, different abilities with the gems as well. So mm. you can change the gems to a preferred colour. You can... Again, stun the monsters temporarily. You can heal yourselves. So what's its target demographic on this game? Is it kids or is it um, teenagers? Or basically, it's open I, all ages? I think it's open all ages, really. I yeah. mean, they did actually do a dedicated kids area, which is just really simple little levels with really simple... Puzzles. Yeah, right, really. yeah. And, and the levels get progressively harder, obviously, as you go through. Mm. And as you complete them, there are drops for characters. Yeah. There, there are probably 250 characters yeah. to produce, so they're, and they're from all areas of the show. There, yeah. There's all, all the Doctors. There's most of the Companions... There's all sorts of incidental characters that you meet in a lot of the stories mm. and that sort of thing. And they've, okay. they've said they want to go back and, and do pretty much everybody. So And that's still going? That, that's still going. That's been going. That was released in 2013. And this is still getting regular updates. Yeah. There's actually a weekly Twitch show. Um, really? Yeah, where they're playing. They talk you through levels. The creators, they post every once in a while strategy for the new levels they've just created. Well, that's actually really good because usually they stop support. It's big. So, so basically you get, a, you get your team. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously great so radio. Got, so Richard has on, on his team, he's got Colin Baker, Handles. Strax. Why Strax? Strax is a healer. He's a wet nurse, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, I haven't played this for a while. But yeah. the whole idea is if we play this, just slide the, the things around. Okay. Now, each of your characters, they're linked to a colour. So, like, these, this is actually a yellow-focused team. So this does yellow-based attacks. There is actually a, a hierarchy there. Like, each colour is strong against one colour and weak against one colour. Yeah. yeah, this is getting really, really nerdy, this. And you do have, as I said, each of characters has abilities and attacks. This this one is actually a yellow-focused team, so the whole object of this team is to uh, wait for their special abilities to power up. They then turn the entire board yellow and then do massive yellow damage to whoever. Well, the fact they're still updating this must yeah. mean there's still people playing this. Yeah, there is. This has still got a really active community behind it. It's been a massive success for the company who created it. Really? You know, I think they'd sort of apply for the licence for who on spec and got the licence and, and released this and, and this is just run and run and run this game. So would you say this is the most successful Doctor Who game that's just come back? Certainly in terms, I think, of community and people playing it. I mean, they're, they're obviously the one we haven't talked about yet is Lego Dimensions. Yes, I have played it about once or twice because my son never gives me much time on the console whatsoever. So a few times I have actually played it. Look, uh, the whole Lego Dimensions franchise, same with Skylanders and, and, and similar ones, is basically it's geared for the kids. But the th- interesting thing actually with uh, with the Lego Dimensions, if you look at a lot of the packs they're releasing, they're not kid stuff. They're for people our age. There's like, there's the A-Team one. It's only B.O. Baracus and his van. I pity the fool. Yeah, but if you look at a lot of the franchises they're doing, it's not kid stuff. Gameplay is, it, look, the, the, the couple of times I've actually played it, you know, you're going in it's very similar to the Lego games where the, the Star Wars ones, for example, you know, when you're, oh, yeah. collect, you're collecting those yeah, sort of... Uh, yeah, you got to collect the bits and... Bits and the, pieces yeah. and things like that. In terms of, I suppose, the, the, the cooperation with the BBC, definitely, you know, obviously got Peter Capaldi voicing new dialogue. You, you can play as the other Doctors, though. Yes, you? absolutely right. You can go back and you've got their console rooms. You can. There's actually a couple of YouTube clips where you actually see them all, but you can regenerate them all. Okay. And it changes the console rooms, obviously, and they're all captured in there. They've all got, got the same abilities. And oh, stuff. I think so, yeah. yeah. So, look, I really haven't played it a couple of times, but look, it is not a dedicated Doctor Who game. Obviously, you bring other characters into the world as well. So We, we did look at this. I mean, I've got a 10-year-old son, mm. and we did look at this, and we looked at Disney Infinity. Now, he mm. went with Disney Infinity because a couple of his mates had it, so we, we didn't wind up buying it. I probably shouldn't have actually chucking it out cheap. 
Well, yeah, because I mean, they've stopped making Disney Infinity whatsoever. Chucking uh, Lego Dimensions out. Yeah, two now Lego Dimensions is going, and they probably won't do any more Skylanders because I think that whole no, that whole market they've milked it dry. Lego Dimensions is probably you know on a broader scale very very successful and it is a bit of fun as well we're not going to get what we want which is probably like a a doom type game with doctor who at all whatsoever no, no. well i think i mean as, as we've sort of come back to a couple of times during this i mean it, it is difficult i think to do a, a doctor who game they really have to be on platform games or puzzle games because yeah. the, the doctor is essentially and and that that's also an issue when you sort of get into um, conventional games like board games and war gaming and that sort of stuff with yeah. doctor, it's not something that lends itself no. to that i mean you could probably there, there are a couple of doctor who like role-playing games mm. um if you get away from video games but well i hope you can play it tonight but uh, unfortunately my son wouldn't get up his console <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately we couldn't so. i'm not playing that doctor who rubbish yes <laughs> Is pretty much up to date unless there's uh, anything else that we've missed. I, I don't think so. I think we've Doctor Computer Games have covered pretty much a lot of genres. You've got text adventures, you've yep. got arcade game ripoffs, such as the first adventure, uh, Minds of Terror, which was convoluted, but yeah. I suppose that was its first sort of serious attempt at a, a, a wide scale commercial game. Yeah, that's right. And Even if it did send the publishers bust. They sacrificed themselves for the greater good. Obviously, what's happened with the show's resurgence, they've really, apart from Legacy, which you've spoken about, mm. probably the mentions, there's been nothing really that sort of grabbed no. the attention of. I think stuff now, that sort of stuff is now highly ephemeral. Mm. I mean, because look, whatever big game, now in six months' time, there'll be another really big must have yeah, game. That's right. Come out. So, I mean, and they are really relying on the fact you'll probably buy the starter pack, buy a few of the figures. Yeah. As long as you make that investment of whatever the set amount is to, to recoup the cost, you know, they don't care, I think, if you move on to something else six months later. So, if you had to choose one, I would probably pick the pinball machine. Yeah. I know it's not a video game, but mm. I would pick the pinball machine because that's one I, I, since that's been released, that's what, as we said, it's 24 years, nearly 24 years old. And I've kept coming back to that again and again and again. And I mean, I played it when it came out. We used to find it in the, in the arcades or in the pub. I played it when I got my own. I've played it now. It's on virtual pinball. I'm, I'm still playing it. If I had to pick a video game one, yeah. I did put a bit of time in Legacy. I did play that for a while. Mm. I haven't, must admit, I haven't looked at it for a little while. Purely and simply because, again, it was one I put a bit of time into. It'd be toss up probably between that and Dalek Attack, I would think. I certainly played The Minds of Terror, I, I do remember investing time in it, but compared to the time I invested in games like, say, Sid Meier's Pirates, which, which, oh, yes. yeah, which, which cost me pretty much an entire summer school holidays, I think, yeah. put into that. Or games like Elite, time I put into Minds of Terror would be absolutely insignificant compared to those. So, mm. yeah, it'd be Dalek Attack for the old stuff and, and mm. probably Legacy for the new stuff. Yeah, I probably go for the new stuff I'll probably go more Lego Dimensions one landscape where basically it's like Dalek Invasion of Earth where it's mm. Wasteland of London yeah. and they've got Daleks floating around and, and Robomen yep. so I think that's probably a highlight but if I had to go 8-bit mm. it's the agony of choice isn't it really I'd probably go to the key at a time because I want, <laughs> <laughs> I want to try and finish it you're going to sit there and have it give it another crack down well, so now I've got to work through. again I want to try and get it through Dalek Attack on 8-bit is not pretty no. If, yeah, if you had to play it, go 16 bit. Yeah, uh, Minds of Terror is it's very convoluted, and as I said, that bloody music's awful. But, yeah, yeah, it's very repetitive. Yeah, right. but the key to time has no music, it's a text adventure. So, if you want to reminisce about the old days, yeah, but I haven't got a BBC micro to try the first adventure, and it's probably a good thing. Yeah, well, I mean, you can see that there is YouTube videos of the gameplay if you want to see what you missed out on. Tempting as that is, I don't think I will be. <laughs> 
Check out the Doctor Who pinball machine. It's great. Uh, yes, Richard's address is. <laughs> okay, definitely check out the emulation on that because that is first time I stand. I'll be uh, purchasing that as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's available on Steam. The actual program itself is free. You just pay for whatever tables you want. Yeah. Um, and you can run them all on demo version if you want to try before you buy. There's about, I think there's about 50, 60 tables. Well, thank you very much, Richard, for uh, bringing your knowledge and foresight around this particular <laughs> subject. This has actually been quite fun going through some of these. It's made me now want to go back and start replaying some. It wasn't so late tonight. We could probably fire up my emulator later again and uh, play Elite well look, I was say, look, we can we have one more the, round on the pinball the machine line. before we go I'll just we'll turn, the, I'll turn the sound down so I don't wake the, don't wake <laughs> wake the family up yeah, that's right that it, could be good. It, it is quite like we're quite finishing late. this thank you very much Richard for coming over and reminiscing about the good old days no worries it's been great actually it's been really good talking about some of these old games again check some of them out but don't have too many high hopes about them to be perfectly honest <laughs> just remember when they were made and just try and take yourself back so next uh, podcast uh, Rob will be back on board. This is the first 42 to do so Rob hasn't been on, is that right? Yes, uh, I've let the team down on numerous occasions, but this is the first one. So Rob, if you're listening, hope you're enjoying it. Our next podcast will hopefully have a special guest on doing another top five. And then I think in May we're all reconvening as a group to discuss... Talk, talk about Series 10? No. No? Nope. When, when are we doing Series when it's finished. When it's finished. When okay. it's finished. So the embargo is still on. So look, it's very late at night here. So I've been Mark. I've been Richard. Keep punching. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.
try and take yourself back to when... Uh, when gaming meant the Commodore 64. Yes, well, over here in particular. Mm. Although, I do, I do remember seeing my Amstrad machine. <laughs> Amstrad CPC machine. Uh, <laughs> uh, some My brother's friend had one. And I was actually quite impressed because it had its own TV monitor. But, oh, really? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it had a, play, had a green screen monitor yeah. as a base model. But then you can get a colour. Colour monitor. Well, yeah, I, must, I remember, actually, I did have, just again on another tangent before we wrap up, I did have for the Commodore 64, I had the, the Commodore monitor, which I think cost about as much as the 64 itself. And then later on, I upgraded the disk drive, which again was about as much as the Commodore, mm. and it was a big, bloody bright, long box. Yeah. Weighed a ton. Yeah. That had a massive transformer inside it. And that, and again, the peripherals were about as, I mean, you got the data set in the box. But uh, no, the peripherals were as much as the machine. This drives were appallingly yeah. priced over here. A friend of mine at school, his dad was in the Navy. He had a um, an SX-64, which was a portable Commodore 64. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was built like a... Tank. If you put that on your lap, yep. your, your knees would buckle and be crushed. Uh, the interesting thing about that was it didn't have a cassette port in there. Really? So you couldn't plug a data set to it. So it was basically... It was disc- totally disc entirely disc only and had a very very small uh, CRT oh yes um, basically when his dad used to go up on the ships he wouldn't have a Commodore 64 for months <laughs> and when his dad came back he, he was able to play Aztec Challenge yeah but that's the thing with all those all those big Commodore 64 invariably I, I tend to find people played them in Commodore 64 mode yes yeah, never actually the Commodore 128 invari- that was usually just in, in 64 mode you only had three games yeah. a friend of mine upgraded his uh, Commodore 64 to 128 and I said what games you got and I got three <laughs> and that was it. And it kept just pressing. I think it was reset and run, stop, move. Yeah, that's right. It to, 64 to, mode. 64 mode. So probably another separate podcasting where Commodore went wrong. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, I think really the death of the home computing market really was was the rise of the PC. Yeah. Really, when when, when particularly when they invented the VGA graphics card. Yeah. Well, the XGA graphics or the SVGA graphics card. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah. well, the XGA graphics... I mean, if you look at... Yeah, I mean, the Amiga didn't last, or the Atari ST didn't no. last that long no. compared to the, the, the shelf life of the, the Commodore 64. I think it lasts like 12 years. You know, yeah, not, not even probably, because, uh, no, that's the thing. I mean, when, once you get into the mid-90s, it's really all about it. It's, it's all, yeah, and I think the last Amiga magazine finished up about 96, 98, yeah. so it wasn't too much past uh, the others. So, yeah, interesting. No. There you go. Happy times and places, eh, Richard?